you will never be that person that you want to be unless you're being that person that you want to be. Uh, Think about that for a second. You will never be that person that you want to be unless you're being that person that you want to be. So I have a question for you today. Who's that person that you want to be? The person that you're being today is the person that you're becoming tomorrow. So let's just back it up to 8 a.m. this morning. You got out of bed. Did you love your wife? Did you love your husband? Did you love your mom? Did you love your dad? Did you spend time with God this morning? Did you argue on the way to church? Did you get upset with that driver in front of you? Did you exercise? Did you eat a healthy breakfast? Are you going to eat a healthy lunch? If we're truly becoming the person that we're being today, then you got to ask this question, uh, who was I being today? You'll never be that person we talked about last week unless you're being that person right now. Do something for me, would you stand a second? I'm going to ask you a couple questions. This is just you taking an honest evaluation as best as possible on your life. Do you, or would you say this, that I am satisfied with my time with God each week? Answer that question. You don't have to answer out loud. Answer this question quietly to yourself. Are you satisfied with your physical health? Are you satisfied with the way you eat, the diet that you take in? Are you satisfied with the way you share your faith? Are you satisfied with the effort that you give in the workplace? Are you satisfied with the way that you love your neighbors? Are you satisfied by the way you work in your workplace with those guys and gals around you? Are you satisfied with the way that you manage your time and your calendar? Are you satisfied with the dad that you're being to your daughter or son? Or the mother you're being to your daughter or son? Would you say today that, Pastor Jim, I... I like the person that I'm becoming. I think it's the person that God wants me to be. If that's true, then the person that you're being today is the person that you're becoming tomorrow. And so what you're saying is, this is who I was made to be. Is this the person you were made to be? You can have a seat. Somewhere along the road... We have to ask ourselves that question. We have to ask ourselves the question, am I on the tracks that God has designed me to run on? Otherwise, why come and be taught? Why come and worship? Why spend time, quiet time in God's word? Why, why call yourself a Christian if you're going to do your thing and you're not willing to do God's thing? Why just come in the Grace Community Church or any other of the good churches that Put Jesus at the center in this community. Why come and worship? Why, why do what you do if you're just doing your thing and you're not being what God wants you to be? How can that ever honor the God that sent his son on the cross and shed his blood for us? 
somewhere along the road this year, and hopefully it's today, you make a choice and to say, God, I'm going to walk on your tracks. God, I'm going to, I'm going to live out to be the person that you've created me. God, somewhere along the road, I've made a detour and I listened to the wrong voice and I need to get back and run in the directions that you want me to run in so that I can become the person that you blueprinted me to be. Let me give you an example. When I was a, a, a child growing up, one of the things that our family loved doing in the summertime was the vacation in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Been there numerous times. And even Anne, when we first got married, that was our vacation site. And so as a family, my stepfather would save up uh, all year long so that we could go on a family vacation. It was the one time that we splurged as a family. One of the years that we made this trek to South Carolina from Maryland on the East Coast, my sister, my next sister up, I have three sisters, two are older than me, one is younger than me, and I have a brother that's younger than my younger sister. And as we're ready to go on this trip, and one of my sisters wanted to bring her boyfriend along. My sister was 18 or 19, somewhere along those lines. And so my folks said, that'd be great. Jim came along with us. He wanted to drive his own vehicle. At the time, he had a 68 Impala, 327, hush thrush mufflers, Craigers dual exhaust, and a, a Holley four-barrel carburetor. And when you press the gas, you could catch rubber in three gears. Some of you understand that. It was awesome. Um, just means fast car for some of you don't understand all that terminology. Uh, and, and so he loved to drive it. And so he was driving that car to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, with my sister seated in the seat beside him, following the, the Country Squire station wagon that we were in that had a 390 in it that had some pep too. So on the way there, as it is in any vacation trip, you generally stop along the side of the road to take a break, check out some market stands. And in this case, we stopped somewhere in Carolina. And as we were stopping in Carolina, there was a fruit stand that had even had pecan pies. And so we decided we would stop there. And so Jim stopped too. And, and my sister Jamie was at them. My family was there. And so my folks said to them, hey, they were still standing in line to purchase something or get something. You guys, you guys catch up to us. We'll go ahead and go. Just go south on this road that we're on. Um, 95, and just just stay on this road, and and you you can catch up to us. So Jim thought that's a good thing. Jamie thought that was a good thing. And so um, they stayed in line and purchased something. But little did they know that my parents, when they left that stand, they walked over to another little stand, and they purchased something else. My sister's boyfriend got back in his car with my sister, knowing that he had to catch up to my sister on this road south to South Carolina, thinking that he needed to speed up so that he could catch up to us in the station wagon. But little did he realize we left after them. And so he didn't know how to get to where he was going. All he knew is that, hey, I can catch up to him. He didn't have a map or didn't have GPS, recalculate, recalculate, recalculate. That was before recalculate. And so he's driving south, and... He knew he had to catch up, so he did what anyone does when you're trying to catch up. He put the pedal to the metal. And now when you have a pedal to the metal of a 327, the pedal goes to the metal and it moves quickly. So they're driving and realizing as they're driving that this is the direction they're supposed to go. We're supposed to go in this direction. And so he's quickly getting there. And uh, the miles per hour speedometer was quickly moving to 70, 80, 90, 100. We got to catch up. And Jamie's like, I don't know where they're at. We got to catch them. If we don't find them, then we don't know where we're going. So you better speed up. And somewhere along the road as they're traveling, this thought came from them. This doubt began to creep in their mind. Maybe we're going in the wrong direction. 
And so they talked about it, thought about it, and because they weren't familiar with the road, and they decided maybe the reason we're not seeing our parents and seeing the parents is because we're going in the wrong direction. So this doubt crept in. This voice came from without and came from within. And so they decided to do a U-turn. Meanwhile, my folks are on this road going in the right direction, heading south. Jim doesn't know it because he's been going very quickly to try to catch up with the vehicle that's behind him. He's 10 miles down the road. And so he turns around and realizes, I got to catch up to them. If Man, I'm already 10 miles down the road. I, if I went in the wrong direction, I went 100 mile an hour, then I've got to double my speed and get back this way to catch him going that way. You get what's happening here. So he turns around the road. My folks are heading south, and I'm in the station wagon, you know, with the seat facing in the back. It was awesome. You know, by the way, I survived without seat belts in this for, for 15 years. Anyhow, so uh, we're driving down the road, and I hear my my siblings who are in front of me saying something like this. Jim is flying, seriously, 100 mile an hour, going towards my folks. They're going in this direction. It was like this. <laughs> Passed us 100 mile an hour. And I remember sitting in the back. I'm facing this way, looking this way. I thought, holy cow, there they go. <laughs> so what do you do in that point, by the way? That's before cell phones. That's before technology. You can't text them. You can't do anything. Um, Make a long story short, that trip took a lot longer than what it should have taken. (laughs) And why? Jim started out, and my sister started out in the right direction because they were on the path that they were supposed to go on to reach their destination. This was the goal. They were going in that direction. My parents started out in the right direction too, going in the, but they started out behind them. But somewhere along the road, someone loud doubt or a voice to creep into their heart, into their mind, and say, hey, this isn't the right direction. This isn't what you should do. Hey, this isn't good. Hey, you're going to get lost. Hey, hey, go in another direction. It's very much similar to us. How often when we start out on this path, we're trying to become that person that Christ wants us to be. As we're traveling along, we get these voices along the way and say, hey, I wouldn't do that. You're not good enough for that. Hey, you can never do that. Hey, you're divorced. You got too much sin. Hey, you can never. Hey, you're not good. Hey, 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 you need to turn around. You don't belong on this road. Are you sure you know where you're going? And before we know, we're headed in the wrong direction. And if we don't get our path corrected, we will end up on a pathway destined for death. Today, we're going to see an individual that kind of was just sidelined along the road. He knew the direction he wanted to go. He believed in his heart that's the direction he should go. Yet somewhere along this path, he needed to make a decision. Will I get on the tracks and head in the right direction? Will I remain here on a pathway to nowhere? Grab your Bibles, and let me show you an incredible story in Scripture and turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. The question we can ask ourselves today, have I finished the race far short of the intended finish line? Have I sidelined myself? Has somewhere along the way I've gotten off the tracks and I ended up far, far from God, heading in the wrong direction? Mark chapter 10 is a story of a man who decides that he's going to get back on the tracks with God. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Mark chapter 10, we're going to read verses 46 to 52. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Read it out loud with me, please. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Many rebuked him or criticized him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You may have a seat. Let me begin with this premise today. Wherever you're at, it doesn't have to end this way. Like, man, if you got off to a bad start today, your day doesn't have to end this way. If you're off to a bad three-month run, if you're off to a bad four-month run, if you're off to a bad year run, it doesn't have to end this way. Your life can end the way that Christ wanted to end, and you can become the person that you want to be. Whether you're sidelined for a season, no matter where you're at right now, you can get back on the tracks and run towards Jesus. And in this text, this beggar woke up one day and said this, I refuse to spend the rest of my life, I refuse to spend the rest of my life along the side of the road. And if I ever get the chance, if the opportunity ever presents itself for me to meet Jesus, if the opportunity ever presents itself for me to cry out to Jesus, if the opportunity ever presents itself for me to serve God, if the opportunity ever presents itself for me to run in a new direction, if it ever happens on my watch, I will jump at the opportunity. So even though he was sidelined for a season, In his heart of hearts, he said this, I'm just waiting for the opportunity. And if the opportunity surfaces and I know it's from God, I am jumping at that opportunity. Meanwhile, it's just another day for this beggar. Dusty road, breadcrumbs, hot sun, dead-end future, lack of meaningful conversation, feeling like a second-class citizen, merely surviving another day on planet Earth, probably feeling empty, lonely, depressed, just getting by, wondering if anyone cared about him. But this day would be a different day for him because this man had decided prior to this moment, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm jumping at it, and I'm going to be all that Christ wants me to be. There's this sense where he was doing all that he could. He was ready to go. Yet there was another part of him that was just sidelined, and he had to battle with his thoughts. Is this how I'm supposed to end my life? And so we have to answer those same questions day after day. Is this where God wants me? Is this the job he wants me to finish with? Is this this the career that he wants me to finish with? Is this how my marriage will end listless and lifeless? Is this how my children will be? Can I do more for them? Is this how I'm supposed to live in my community? Is this where my finances will end up? Is this where this relationship where there's no reconciliation, is that how it's going to end? Or will there come a day when I'll be able to cry out to God and the opportunity presents itself that I say, no, I want to go. And so all of us have to answer that question. Some of you need this message more than others. Some of you know deep down that when you're all alone at night, you've settled, you've just like, and you're in a rut. You're just, man, you're showing up on Sunday and you're worshiping God and raising your hand. And some of you, you're not even giving God your best in worship. You're just coming and you're making it a part of your routine on Sunday. And you're just saying, boy, I hope we get through this so I can watch the playoffs today. And I hope the Patriots don't win. <laughs> That's like priority on your list right now. But for some of you, it could really, really change today. 
It's a matter not whether you believe it can. And even for some, some of you know it can, but you think, well, not for me. Why does it always happen for them? It seems like everything goes well. It's like whenever they have a bump in the road, somehow they overcome that. And for some of you, you've chosen to believe that somehow God doesn't want his best for you. And what you've done, instead of just saying, I can't, you've made it, I won't. Have you ever met someone who just won't? You go to them and you ask them, you encourage them. You, you go to them as a friend. You go to them as a brother. You go to them as a sister. You go to them as, a, as, a, as, a, as an advocate in their life. And you say, hey, why don't you, why don't you do this? Hey, this would be really good for your marriage. Hey, this would be good for you in the workplace. Hey, this would be good for your life. And you know what you get back? Thanks, thanks. Appreciate that you asked me for help. But they never move on. It's like they won't move. Why? Because somewhere along the road, they think this is where they're supposed to finish. They think this is what it's supposed to look like. And they've settled along the side of the road, and they, that's the picture they have for life. Let me tell you something. If the person you're being today is the person you're becoming tomorrow, are you satisfied with that? Do you like the you that you've become today? The only way you'll ever become that person is by getting in action and beginning now. Not three weeks from now, but now. You know, God must have heard this man's cry from within because the Lord himself orchestrated this day that somehow this man would see Jesus and Jesus would be on the road that this beggar would be on. Yet here's the truth. The most reason most people don't want to have a healthy life, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, is because it requires blood, sweat, and tears. And the great thing, any great thing or accomplishment for God will never happen without some blood, sweat, and tears. And it says this in, 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 in Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 47. This man was along the side of the road. And then it says in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to what? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Seriously, this guy might have been physically blind, but his vision was crystal clear. Like if you were to ask him what he wanted to be, where he wanted to go, and what if he had an opportunity one day, he would say, this is what I see. This is what I know can happen. Even though I physically can't see it, I believe if I'm given the opportunity, if the opportunity ever presents itself, I'm jumping at it because this is what I believe God has created me to be. And so along the side of the road, his opportunity was coming. Jesus was walking on his dusty road, and he could hear, and he would not let Jesus pass him by without shouting at the top of his lungs, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Can you picture the sound from this dust-collected man who was barely surviving, and most people wouldn't give him the time of day. They might throw a, a, a coin to the ground. But on this day, he said, I can't remain here. I just can't remain here. Too much is at stake for me to remain on the sidelines of my life, especially after all the blood that was shed on Calvary. Can you picture the scene as many people were coming by as Jesus was leaving the town? And, and then this man, he couldn't see, but he could hear. And he heard footsteps and people, lots of people, crowd. And he, heard, he could hear rumbling of, of people's voices. And he maybe heard a child or two squeal because they loved Jesus. Children just ran to Jesus because Jesus loved children. And he knew something was different about this day. And I wonder if he was sitting there thinking, this could be the day. If I just see Jesus, this could be the day. Day after day, we're just hoping Jesus would walk by. And then out of this crowd, I mean, there was 
Probably thousands of people that were following Jesus because he was the miracle worker and you know, people wanted to get close to Jesus. And out of this crowd, this one voice above every voice was shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The beggar wanted to change his situation and he was going to take the opportunity and seize it. I wonder if we feel that desperate for Jesus. I wonder... If we would make fools of ourselves to get a touch of Jesus, maybe that's exactly what we need to do. Maybe we just need to make fools of ourselves for Jesus because we're crazy in love with him. Do you really long to become more like Christ? Do you really long to be that person that Christ? Or do you want to come right back here next year, 2014, and sit here and... In 2000, after 14, 15, sit here and hear Jim talk this message again. The person Jesus wants you to be is that person there. And the person you're being today is the person you're becoming today. Let me tell you, if you don't change the way you're living today with Christ, you will never become the person Christ intended you to be. And you'll be right here next year in the same position along the side of the road, sideline, wasting a year of your life. This man wouldn't let that happen. You see, for him... There was so much more that he could experience. He wanted to finish his life the way Christ intended him to finish it. You see, I hope that we never want to coast. I hope that we never want to just, 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 just hang along the side of the road and just settle. Maybe it's time for change. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking to someone in this room who, who says, I refuse this year to end up where I'm at today. I refuse to say this is where I'm supposed to end. I refuse to say this is how good my marriage is supposed to be. I refuse to say that, that, that God can't save my children. I refuse to say that God can't save my husband. I refuse to say that there can't be reconciliation with my neighbors. I refuse to say this. I refuse. I refuse to settle. This will be the year that Christ can do that. You must be desperate for that. Otherwise, you're just hanging along the side of the road. And by the way, God will keep coming after you and he'll keep pushing you and he'll keep prodding you. He'll keep nudging you and he'll keep doing that. But sooner or later, if you continue to to turn away his knocks, you know what happens? We become callous to the voice of God. And the scripture says that we quench the spirit and he'll keep coming. But what we do, we quench it. We can't even understand it. And we become so callous to the, the promptings of the spirit that we no longer are prodded or moved by it. Let me show you what I mean, how much God is willing to get you back on track. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Recently, I was exposed to this, and actually this weekend, that was a, prior to this weekend, I, I watched it, but yesterday it was fresh again. But to, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, and let me show you a truth and a reality of how much God is willing to get you off the sidelines of life. Genesis, Exodus, Phidias, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. I want you to look at verses 9 through 12. This is God saying this is the way that he wants to treat his people and how he loves his people. He uses some metaphors here, as is the, 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 this does that. That's how God does this for you. And in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 9, it says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found them. In other words, they were in a barren and howling waste. God found them. Then it says this, he shielded him and did what for him? Cared for him. He also did what for him? 
guarded him as the apple of his eye. You see this love that God has for his people. He cared for him. He shielded them. He guarded them. And then it says this, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young and that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft, the Lord alone led him and no foreign God was with him. And it says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch him, God does that for us. I want you to think about an analogy of how an eagle cares for its own. It says that God stirs up the nest. What does that mean, God stirs up the nest? Well, let me try to explain it to you for a second here. If you had a chance to, to, to study an eagle and how it builds its nest, It's an interesting thing that an eagle does. An eagle builds its nest, and it builds it in high places. So it'll take sticks, and it'll take branches, and it'll build a nest in high places. And the reason it builds the nest in a high place is to protect the eagle, the eaglet, from predators, whether it's a mountain lion or whether it's another predator that would try to get to the nest. And so you'll often find an eagle's nest in a high place and sometimes in a high tree, but oftentimes in the cliffs and crags of mountainsides. And so what the eagle does, it takes branches and it knows that it's going to hatch. And so it takes branches and it builds its nest out of twigs and out of branches. And while it's building this nest, it does something that's pretty fascinating. It pals the branches up in such a form or fashion that when it builds it, that the branches themselves become a protection place for the eagle. It literally takes the branches and pushes them out. And so all over the nest of this eagle are branches that are protruding out. So if you were to find an eagle's nest and you were to look at the outside of it, you would soon see that on the inside of the nest, it's smooth. Yet on the outside, it's not smooth. It has taken the branches and used them as protection for any predator that wants to get there. So that if something would try to attack the eagle, it would be poked by the branches around the nest that it's in. Eagle wants to take care of its eaglet. And it says here then, it says, look back at Deuteronomy chapter 32. It says this, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, God does that for us. Now, here's an interesting perspective about this eagle. The eagle is inside the nest. And while it's inside the nest, what's the primary function of an eaglet while it's in its nest? Here's the posture. (laughs) Feed me. Feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm safe and protected. I don't need to pay rent. I don't need to pay for groceries. Just feed me. I'll grow. You feed me. And so there's this posture where it's growing. Its environment is shaped by the environment that it's in. This is where the eaglet begins. This is where it starts. And so the majority of its early forming days, it sits there and mama eagle comes. And when he knows mama eagle come, he just opens up his mouth and feed me. Yet there comes a point in this eaglet's life when he realizes that he has these appendages on his arms. And these things on his arms that he thought were arms on his, began to grow in their wings. And in order for him to be what he's supposed to be, he's made to fly. And if you study eagles, it would show you that some of the wingspans can grow as big up to nine feet wide. And so an eagle is meant to fly. 
So what happens is this. The eagle, mama eagle, knows this. And she's watching her eaglet grow, and she's saying he's getting big, he's getting healthy. And she realizes it's time to get him out of the nest. And so the eagle comes in, and it stirs the nest. Stirs it. Shakes it up. And you know what it does? It takes the branches of the nest, instead of pointing them out, begins to point them in. Takes the branches and makes it a jagged place. Makes the nest a place that's uncomfortable. Makes a nest a place that if the eaglet tried to spread its wings, it would hurt. It would hit the, 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 the appendages against the, the sticks that's in the nest. It's telling the eagle, it's time to fly. It's time to get out of here. And the text says this, that God himself comes to us when we're nested along the side of the road, when we dropped off and we said, hey, I like this place. It's comfortable. I mean, this is where I grew up. This is where mom feeds me. I don't even have to work and I have a remote control and I don't have to pay any rent. This is comfortable. And it says that God comes to us. He stirs us. He stirs up the nest. And you know how he does it? He does it through the Holy Spirit. He comes along and he pokes. He says, think about that. Hey, convict me of that. Hey, there's an opportunity. Hey, 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 hey. Because he knows that we were made for more than to sit in the nest and just take in. Why? Because he wants us to get out of the nest and do what? fly. You see, we were made to soar. We were made to fly. And yet some of us, we like the nest. You know, it's comfortable. I I know the back door. (laughs) I know where that plug is. And boy, I, I know how to get fed. And we become so comfortable with our environment we become so comfortable with nesting here that we don't even realize how squalid the conditions really are. Have you ever looked inside of a nest? Have you ever seen what it looks like after someone has been there, a bird has been there too long? Have you ever noticed the feathers and all the leftover food that they didn't eat and all the excrements? And Have you ever noticed that... What can happen after you've stayed too long? You see, some of us are so comfortable with our environments that we are living in a squalid environment and we don't even know it. And we think, this is as good as it will get. And God has been coming and he's been stirring. You've been hearing a brother or sister who loves you speaking into your life. And someone's been trying to get you to join a journey. Someone's been trying to to tell you, hey, you're good at this. Hey, you were made for that. And you've been hearing the spirit of God speak to you in your quiet time. And you know you need to go do that. And he's been stirring and he's been shaking. And he's been turning the nest and saying, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. And yet, know what you do? You like it here. Let me tell you something. If you remain here and you continue to not move when God stirs you, you will never be that person that God created you to be. Here's the problem. I think we have nesters all over our world. 
We like being comfortable. We like sitting in the nest. Yet God has designed us for so much more. Bartimaeus realized, boy, he had spent a lot of time here. (laughs) It's like every day. Food. Someone help me. Can you feed me? Day after day, day after day, after day, after day. But this is what he knew to be true. If the opportunity presented itself for him to get out of the nest, he was jumping. How about you? Has God been knocking? Has some, he been speaking through someone else and saying, hey, you need to get back on the tracks. You've, you've stepped off. You used to, you used to, you used to, you used to. Bartimaeus was desperate for change. In fact, look what happens to him. He's so desperate and he's so loud. Look at Mark chapter 10. He's so wanting to change that he does this. Look at Mark chapter 10. Look what he does. Look in verse 48. He's so desperate for change. Verse 48 says, many rebuked him. In other words, criticized him. You don't deserve that. You're a blind man. Shut up. Jesus doesn't care about you. He's got more important things to do. Come on. Here, here, eat this bread. Just shush, would you? It says, many rebuked him and told him to be what? But he what? Shouted how much more? Now, what does that mean, by the way? I mean, I'll give you the Jim Brown paraphrase. He's sitting there, and, you know, he, and he's, here's Jesus coming. And so he starts shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And so these, these, these critics come alongside the road and tell him, hey, that'll never happen. Jesus doesn't care about you. And it says, but he shouted all the more. He went from, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David. He got indignant about it because he believed that God had created him for more. He knew that he wasn't supposed to stay in that spot. See, here's the problem. You can stay here. You know what happens? This place becomes a prison instead of a starting place. And some of you, you're sitting in prison. And if you would look at your life last year compared to where it's at right now, And if there's not a change in your life and you're becoming more like Christ, then you know what? You've just been a prisoner for this past year. And you know who wins? No one. So the question is, when Jesus comes stirring, when he comes to your nest and stirs, when he sends someone who deeply loves you and speaks from God to you, are you going to remain there? Are you going to allow your marriage to stay where it's at? Are you going to remain in this ungodly dating relationship because you think this is the best there is and there's like there's no other dudes out there that are close to what I want and it's like he's close and she's close and, you know, hey, that's a good choice and I've been looking all over Grace Community and I just, I haven't seen and it's like, it's like it seems like this is kind of, but deep in the, the, the bottom of your heart, you know this isn't who you've been created to spend your life with. Bartimaeus is desperate. You see, some of you are on a path to death and you don't even realize it. 
I like to deer hunt. And one of the things I do when I go look for deer, I scout in the early season. So you know what you do when you look for deer? You look for a path in the woods. You look for a path where they go and, and, and graze. You look for a path where they go and eat. You look for a path where they bed at nighttime. You look for a path. And so you study the path. And so you know that there's a path that there had to be deer there. And so what you do, you put a tree stand near the path. Different times of the day, this is when they're here, this is when they're there. Or you put a ground blind because you know that there's deer. That's the path, that's the path. Now, deer are very smart animals, sometimes smarter than us. Because they quickly learn that while they're on this path that they think is a good path and a healthy path that feeds them and nourishes them and allows them to rest, they'll stay on that path. But when a predator comes in and invades their territory that puts a tree stand and they begin to see human beings who want to come against them, you know what they realize? I better get off this path. Because if I stay on this path, it's a pathway to destruction. And you know what many of us do? We stay on this pathway of destruction, and we have all these predators called demons and Satan's people and the negative voices and doubters and critics. And what we've done, we don't even change the path, and we are destined for destruction. Any great thing or accomplishment for God will never happen without some blood, sweat, and tears. See, it takes work. Yeah, seriously. Let's just talk about let's just talk about quiet time. Let's just talk about physical health. Yeah, Pastor Jim, I don't like to run. I don't well don't run, ride a bike. Oh, Pastor Jim, I can't ride a bike, then walk. Oh, Pastor Jim, I can't. It's like it's too cold outside. Well then do it inside. Oh, Pastor Jim, I like to eat. And, you know, I know, my, you know I'm not healthy and I know my cholesterol's high, but that's hard. I like that. I like eating. I like eating chocolate. I love lots of chocolate, more chocolate. I eat all kinds of chocolate. And so here's what happens. We'll have these moments where we'll say this. We'll say, I wish I could change. I wish it would be different. And then that temptation will come along, along that path, and we reach for it. Instead of saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I want to get away from this nest that I've settled in. Look what happens after Jesus heard him. It says, many rebuked him, but he shouted all the more. And then in verse 49, it says, Jesus stopped and said to him, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Think about that for a second, what that meant in this moment. He got the attention of Jesus Christ. Why did he get the attention of Jesus Christ? Why, was, why did he want to get a hold of Jesus Christ? Because maybe he was tired of hearing the beautiful leaves blow in the trees and he wanted to see them. Maybe he wanted to see the sand instead of feeling it across his face as the wind came brushing by. Maybe he longed to see the people in the market instead of just hearing their voices. Maybe he wanted to play checkers at the corner gate and he wanted to swim in the Sea of Galilee. Maybe he has smelled the lily of the valley and thought, man, I wish I could just see it. Maybe he wanted to move from this condition of being sidelined, and this was his chance, and he was going broke to do it. I love the spirit of desperation that this man has right here. I love that he's willing to do whatever it takes Basically saying, I refuse to stay in the condition that I'm in now. I refuse to come back here next year in 2015 and hear another message and still be here. I refuse to end my life without pursuing that gargantuous dream that just 
won't allow me to sleep at night. I refuse to not step out in faith and let God supply what I think he wants me to do. I refuse to sit here any longer and become I won't and I can't and die. Do you refuse to do that? So Bartimaeus shouted all the more and he was willing to do whatever it takes. You see, some of you are on this cycle of insanity and you're hearing me. You're hearing me? It's going like this. You're hearing me? Oh, it's just Jim. It's just, and I've heard it before. And listen, God's been stirring for a while and there's no change in your life. Sure, you might even be doing some some really good things, but there's no change. You see, we are on the brink of something incredible. And it says in here that when Bartimaeus shouted out, Jesus stopped. I wondered, seriously, I I wondered this, this past week. I wonder if we've ever caused Jesus to stop what he was doing because of our belief and our faith and our persistence and our prayers. I wonder if he said, all right, enough now. Here, there it is. After a while, he heard his voice and it stopped the Savior of the world in such a way that he gave him what he wanted. Why? Because he believed. Why? Because he was stepping out in faith. He might have been physically blind, but he knew it was scary. He was stepping out even though he didn't know what that would cost his family. He was stepping out even though he didn't know how it was all going to work out. He was willing to step out even though it might mean he had to move. He was willing to step out even though he might mean that it would be radically different than sitting in the nest. Here's the problem, though. Some of us are chasing a goal that's not even what God wants. We think, well... This is what I've been doing. I really think I like it. And this is what God wants me to do. And, you know, and so you've been doing this thing for five, ten years. And then next year you'll sign up for it again. And, and tomorrow, Monday, you'll do it again. And so you, you're chasing the wrong goal. You've never pulled away for a season of fasting and prayer and say, okay, God, let's reevaluate. God, is this what you created me to be? Or is this just me going through the routine? Let me give you an example of how God brought this to light for me. On my way to Grace, home, in my way to Grace, County Road 21 from my house, as I cross over County Road 142, which goes east and west, and I travel a little farther, I cross over a stream or creek that has a bridge, and on the left-hand side of County Road 21, on the west side of the road, there's a red farmhouse. And at this red farmhouse, for the last three and a half years, there's this dog that has this insatiable desire to grab the bumper on my Jeep. Not exaggerating. Ask Ann. Just recently we were driving and the same thing happened. So for some reason the dog wants my Jeep. I don't know if it's because it's green. But I've actually been driving on that road. And there's been cars in front of me. He just lets them pass by. Then he sees me. And so he sits by the side of the road. No exaggerating. He sits on the side of the road and he gets as low as he can. And he thinks you can't see him. You ever play hide-and-go-seat with your small kids? Okay, go hide, and they go in the front room, and they do this. I'm hiding. Um, I can see you. No, you can't see me because I can't see you. But this dog is crouched like this. And when I'm coming down the road, it's like you see him work his way to the edge of the road. He gets along the edge of the road, whether there's snow, grass, summer, spring, it doesn't matter which season. And when he sees me coming, he gets, you'll watch him, he'll get as low as he can. And as I come around the turn, you know what he does? He takes off, he jumps, and he runs up beside the Jeep, and he tries to grab my bumper. 
I'm not exaggerating. Just Ann was with me even this past week. We were driving down the road. There was a car in front of us. It didn't chase it. And as we're driving along, I had told her about this dog. He jumps out. She says, stop it. There it was again. So I was wondering, uh, this thought comes to me, and I'm always thinking along these lines. You do that when you communicate and preach. And I thought about two weeks ago, I was riding, and this dog was trying to catch my bumper. So what happens if he gets my bumper? Think about that. What happened if he finally gets his goal? What happened if one day I'm driving along and he's, I mean, he's all in too. And he takes his mouth and he latches it onto that rear bumper. What happens to that dog? I'll tell you what happens to that dog. I drag him the whole way up the road. (laughs) To his death. What he thought was a noble goal might not be as good as what he thought it was going to be when he finally got what he's been pursuing for these three years. So I thought, what would a dog think if he finally got what he wanted? What would this dog think that day after day? He was there this morning. What would he think if he finally got my bumper and he grabbed a hold of that bumper? I bet he would think this. Oh, crap. That's not as good as I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Seriously, think about it. But then I wondered, I wonder how many things we're running after. Day after day, week after week, year after year. Just if we could get that, if we just had one chance at it, if I could just get my hands on him or her or that job or that ministry. If I could just, and we run day after day, I mean, we're ready, we're, we're up early, and what happens if we finally get a hold of what we think is what God wants us to do? I wonder if we'll say, well, crap, that wasn't worth chasing for the last three and a half years. So you have a question to ask, self-evaluation. Is the thing I'm chasing after, is the thing that I think I've been created to be, is that what God wants me to be? So you say, Pastor Jim, you know, I have singles ask me a lot. So Pastor Jim, how do I know? I have married couples. I have couples that go in a different career after they get married. And they ask me, how do I know what I'm supposed to chase after? How do I know? And you talk about these goals that God's blueprinted from the beginning of time. Sounds great, Pastor Jim. But could he send me the blueprints? So how do you know? Let me give you some really, really practical advice. God uses his people. God speaks through his people. You know why? Because the spirit bears witness. The same Holy Spirit that lives in them lives in you. And God speaks through his people and through his word and through times of prayer. But listen to me, he often speaks through his people. So if you've got someone coming up to you that, that, you, that, you, that you appreciate and you, 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 you value them, ask them this question. What do you see me doing with my life? Ask him, say, like, um, like I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm on this assembly line. I'm running this business. I'm, you know, I'm the director, CEO of this. Do you think that's what I've been made for? And ask him this question. When is it that I truly come alive? Like, when you see me do something, like, what is it that I do that really makes me come alive? Now, listen, when they speak, listen to what they say. 
Because often the very thing that you think you should b- grab a hold of isn't, and you end up in one of those moments you've got to hold of the bumper like the dog would and realize, man, I've wasted three years of my life. I have had people along the way. I can tell you one. I, I, you know, I was 20 years old, 21 years old, and, and I was doing good things you know, for God. I was serving in a local church. I, I had a great job. Um, and I, I was trying to live out my faith well. I was, you know, uh, working with young adults. I was running a college and career Bible study and, and uh, um, grew to like 300 singles. And I was doing some really, really good things. And I thought, this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to get married here. I'm going to um, continue to evolve in ministry. All good things. After one of the meetings that um, we had, in, we met in a variety of places, I had this guy come up to me that I respected loves Jesus Christ. Now he's a missionary in Togo. And he looked me across the table. He said, hey, Jim, I want to take you out to Pizza Hut. He said, listen to me. He looked across the table and he said these words that I'll never forget. He says, I want to tell you something, Jim. He says, I know no one in your family's ever went to college. He said, but when you speak God's word, people listen. He says, I've watched you the last two years lead this college and career. And he said, something happens to you and happens to them when you speak. Now, I was running on a track that seemed like a good track, you know. And he said this, I really think, Jim, I really believe with all my heart that you ought to quit your job. And I think you should go to college and pursue ministry. Now, I'll be quite honest with you. I didn't like that at first. See, I was single and had $17,000 in the bank, had a career job at the post office, was um, leading a, a young adult ministry, and things were going good. I was serving in the local church. And, but when he spoke into my life, something happened to me. You know what it was? The Spirit began to stir in me because God uses his people to speak into lives. Now listen to me. When someone that you respect someone that knows you well, ask them, what do you see me doing? Now, here's what your first response is. Here's what I often see. Yeah, but. That means I gotta go back to school. Yeah, but. I'm married. Yeah, but. That costs money. Yeah, but. That means I gotta get up early and exercise. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. You see, you can stay there. Or you can be the person that Christ intended you to be. Bartimaeus was being the person that Christ wanted him to be. The passage says this in verse 50, and I'll close with this. It says in verse 50, it says this. Throwing his cloak aside, he what to his feet? Jumped to his feet. Have you ever seen a blind man jump? Come on. He didn't even know where he was going. He just, it says, he jumped to his feet. He threw his cloak behind him. What does that mean? He let the past go. He says, I don't need this anymore. That's who I used to be. That used to keep the sand off my eyes. That's where I used to nest. But the new Bartimaeus is running to Jesus. He jumped to his feet. And then it says this. Look what Jesus does. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Have you ever wondered why Jesus asked that question? Don't you think he knew? (laughs) If you had a blind man running at you. (laughs) What do you want me to do for you? 
I mean, some of the disciples are probably thinking, duh. Come on, Jesus. You see, he wants us to ask. I mean, isn't there a Bible verse that kind of goes something like this? We have not because we what? Ask not. Oh, listen to me, Grace. This isn't rocket science. But it's powerful information to live the life that Christ intended you to live. Immediately he received his sight and it says he followed Jesus. He refused to stay in the condition. And you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to soar. I wonder how many of you have wings to fly, (laughs) but you're back in the nest. You can't fly there, can you? Like, it hurts. And Jesus is saying, jump. Stand with me a second, would you please? I want to close our service and challenge you. In this room and in the link are wood trusses and some wood framing and some some wood up on the stage. There's even trusses in the back of the main auditorium and there are Sharpie pens all over the place. I'm about to read a resolution that means, says, I refuse. I refuse to stay here. I refuse to come back in 2015 and still be at the same place. I refuse to stay settled and in the nest of comfortableness. I will jump when the opportunity presents itself. And you know when it presents itself? Today. I'm going to ask you to do something as I, after I read this declaration, this resolution, if it's you. I'm going to ask you to come sign your name on a piece of this wood. Now listen to me. Don't come and sign this just because you want to see your name. Because here's what it means. You come and sign your name, it gives someone permission here to say, hey, how you doing? How's your health? Hey, how's your prayer life? Hey, how's your quiet time? Hey, how you loving your wife? Hey, I saw you in the workplace and, and you know what? You really didn't look like Jesus. Hey, I think you're wasting your life. Hey, I don't see worship springing from your heart. Hey, you know what? You're one of those people who comes to church once a month and you let your schedule fill with other stuff. Aren't you the person who signed that resolution that said, I refuse to remain here. Hey, you've been given to God or you've been robbing him with your offerings and your tithes? Oh, don't go there, Pastor Jim. You see, it's not like halfway in. This man jumped full throttle. Hey, how are you doing with your neighbors? Are you sharing your faith? When's the last time you shared your faith? And so what you're doing by signing this is saying, I refuse to remain in the nest. You know what we're going to do? We're going to build something out of all this wood, and it's going to be out in our west foyer. And all through the year will be a place where you can go and sit, made out of this wood, this unfinished wood, And you can go and remind yourself, this is what I've committed. And you can go, and this will be your prayer room to regularly go to and say, God, help me. So here's the resolution. My resolution, I refuse to go another year and let Satan win. I refuse to go another year and not have regular time in God's word. 
I refuse to go another year without a regular exercise plan. I refuse to go another year and let the phrase, I can't or I won't, speaketh from my lips, little King James. I refuse to go another year and dig a deeper hole with my finances. I refuse to go another year and let depression rule my life. I refuse to go another year without sharing my faith. I refuse to go another year sitting idly on the sidelines. I refuse to go another year and let my marriage be lifeless. I refuse to go another year and let this familiar sin rule my life. I refuse to go another year and let the mantra, I can't or I won't, reign over me. I refuse to go another year and let my children run from God. I refuse to go another year and remain in an unhealthy, ungodly dating relationship. I refuse to go another year and let fear of the unknown keep me from stepping out in faith and serving my God. I refuse to go another year and let this addiction ruin my life. I refuse to go another year and end up right here again. I refuse to go another year and fall short of what God has blueprinted for my life. But I will take back all the things I've let the enemy steal from me and my family and chart a fresh set of tracks so I don't end up here again and waste another year of my life. Come hell or high water, I will fight with everything I have to be the person God has created me to be. The old me is getting kicked from the nest, and I'm never, ever, ever going back. I choose to soar this year. So our worship teams are going to come in both of our venues, and maybe you just need to get out in the aisle and just soar as you come up here. Maybe when we sing this worship song, you just let loose. Maybe you need to slap someone beside you and say, I refuse. Please, become the person Christ intended you to be.